So Psalm 25, as we turn to this psalm today, uh, I was thinking a couple of weeks ago, uh, we did one of those responsive prayers uh, where everyone fills out a prompt and, and uh, on a card, and then we read them all out loud in prayer together, right? Many of you were here when we did that a couple of weeks ago. One of the interesting things that can happen whenever we do this, whenever we can listen to one another's prayers, is that um, we, we can potentially begin to hear some common themes that arise and all the things that we're praying about. And, and one theme that I heard over and over again a couple of weeks ago in, in our prayers together was the theme of trust. The theme of trust. Many of you prayed prayers either confessing a lack of trust or asking God to provide more trust. And perhaps connected to that, there was another theme that came up, and that was a theme of fear. In many of the prayers, I heard the word fear come through. And I imagine that these are connected because where trust is weak, fear is strong, right? We, when we cannot trust the, the people and the places around us, we can't help but feel a sense of fear and anxiety. So I'm really grateful for your honesty as we, as we come to prayer, as we came to prayer just a couple of weeks ago. Because prayer is the place where we learn how to trust. Prayer is the place where we learn how to trust. And Psalm 25 is meant to instruct us in this kind of trusting prayer. You see, it's, it's very likely that Psalm 25 was actually used as a teaching tool in ancient Israel. I mentioned this in the email I sent out this weekend, uh, but Psalm 25 is an acrostic poem, which means it, it, in the original Hebrew, it begins with uh, the first letter of the alphabet, and then the next verse is the next letter, and so on and so forth. It makes its way through the Hebrew alphabet. Um, so it would have been a very easy psalm to memorize, to learn, to recall, just like the things that the songs that we learn, right? We learn the ABCs, uh, which I still have to sing when I'm trying to put things in alphabetical order. Uh, we learn songs to know the names of the states in our country. We learn songs so we know the books of the Bible, right? We, we've learned several things. I'm sure you could name other songs you've learned that helped you learn and, and memorize things. Psalm 25 is a psalm that teaches us the ABCs of trusting in God. And so let's read together Psalm 25. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. 
Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior. My hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity, and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word and for the instruction that we find in this psalm. May it lead us in trusting you more deeply. God, as we reflect on the words of your scripture together today, I pray that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 25. This psalm begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is Aleph. Sounds a lot like A, doesn't it? It sort of acts like an A. Um, but it begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it begins with this phrase, In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. Now, some of your Bibles may have the more literal rendering of this Hebrew phrase, which I think is actually very helpful. Uh, more literally, verse 1 reads, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. 
You see, the first thing that this psalm teaches us about trust is that trust has to do with our orientation. It has to do with with the, the direction that we're facing, with where we are looking. Trust has to do with the posture of our soul. And so it, it makes me wonder, it invites us to wonder, are you caught up in everything that you have to get done today? Are you looking at the numbers that are there or aren't there in your bank account? Are you worried about what everyone thinks of you or perhaps worried if anyone is thinking about you? Are you preoccupied with all the noise of the news cycle that so often divides everything into a battle for power? With every issue, there's winning and losing, but never listening, right? What is the posture of your soul in the midst of all of these things? All of these things are real. This psalm, as it calls us to trust, is not calling us to ignore any of the things that are going on around us in the world, but rather it's calling attention to what posture do we have around these things in the world. Does our soul bow down before all of these concerns? Or, in the words of the psalm, is our soul lifted up to the Lord? What direction are you facing? What is the posture of your soul? Trust is about turning our attention to God and taking our cues from him. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. This is where the psalm begins. And there's one commentary that I was reading this week that goes on to say, truly, the rest of the psalm, concerned entirely with prayerful trust, may be read simply as a commentary on the first verse. This whole psalm is about trusting God, about what it looks like to lift up our soul to God. psalm begins with the soul lifted up to the Lord, and the rest of the psalm flows out of that place. So what does it look like when the soul is lifted to God? What does it look like to live in trust? That's where the psalm leads us. The next two verses begin to describe this. Verses 2 and 3, I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame. Nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Now there's a vital word that sits right in the center of these two verses. And that's the word hope. The word hope. No one who 
hopes in you will ever be put to shame. Now again, this calls us to reflect. I, I want to reflect for just a moment. How do you think about the world that we live in? What do you think of the world that we live in? Is this a hopeful world or a hopeless world? Is this a world filled with justice or injustice? Is the world that we live in generally safe or is it primarily dangerous? You see, how you think about the world that we live in will drastically affect the way that you live in it. If the world is hopeless, unjust, and unsafe, well, then it makes sense that we would live with fear and anxiety and shame, right? If that's the world we live in, if it's just ultimately a hopeless mess, well, then of course we're afraid and ashamed and anxious all the time. And these things can be true in the world. It would be a lie to say otherwise. But this psalm invites us to see these things in light of God. It invites us to look at the world around us with our souls lifted up to the Lord. You see, when we trust in God, we come to see the world entirely differently. The psalmist here is not ignorant. The psalmist is not naive. There are enemies, right? The psalmist writes about them. There are treacherous things that happen without cause. Senseless, horrible things. But the psalmist tells us that the world we live in, despite these things, is not a place where these forces will ultimately win. Rather, the psalmist says that we live in a world where God and those who trust in God will overcome in the end. That's the kind of world that we live in. So this world that God created is ultimately hopeful, not hopeless. Though there are times when it seems like our faith in God is just downright foolish, the psalmist declares no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But the one who is treacherous without cause, shame will come on that one. You see, those who trust and hope in God will prevail in the end. 
That's what the psalmist is telling us. All the forces that work against God and against God's kingdom will eventually come to an end, will meet their finish. In the end, everything will be made right. This is the world that we live in. This is what it looks like to trust God, to lift up our soul to God, to trust that there is hope for this world, that the end of this world is not injustice, but God's justice. That will come. But that doesn't mean we won't experience fear. It just means that we are a people who bring our fears to God and trust him in the midst of those fears. And I've heard it said that, you know, when we're afraid, it is good to tell God about our fears. But it's also good to tell our fears about God. It's good to not only tell God about our fears, but also to tell our fears about God. Whenever we are afraid, whenever something is rising up within us or against us, we can look and say, oh, you think you're scary? Let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about the one who triumphed over death itself. Let me tell you about the one who is victorious over all things in the end. We need to tell God about our fears, but we would do well to also tell our fears about God to put our fears in their proper place, to not bow down before them, but to lift up our souls to the Lord. This is the world that the psalm calls us into, invites us to believe in. So trusting God changes the way that we see the world around us but it also transforms the way that we live in the world, right? The next part of these trust ABCs, verses 4 and 5, say this. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you our God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Now again, I, I want to notice some ideas in these verses that are connected here in the mind of the psalmist that, that we have often separated. These two verses, verses 4 and 5, hinge on the word for which connects these two things, what comes before and after. It's, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. You see, often we have viewed words like Savior and hope 
as far off and distant things. Right? Being saved means going to heaven someday. Hope just has to do with future salvation. That's not how the psalmist thinks about these things. Right? In the mind of the psalmist, a savior is not only someone who grabs you from death, but also someone who guides you in life. In the mind of the psalmist, hope is not merely about the future, but something that we have all day long. My hope is in you all day long, right? It's not just about the future. Hope is now. For the psalmist, God is a guide and a teacher who not only saves us, but also shows us the way. And this, I think, is is one of the primary problems that we see as we look around the church today. I think it's, to be honest, probably one of the reasons why uh, many people leave the church these days. You see, uh, Scripture tells, you know, that the psalmist here is, is praying, lead me in your way, show me your way. And, and the gospel writer tells us, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There are many people within the church who claim to trust in Jesus, but have failed to live in the way of Jesus. People who believe in Jesus cognitively, but don't follow the words that he has given us. Do not practice the things that he taught us. There's a word whenever, for for that kind of, of person, there's a word for someone who says one thing and does another. It's a hypocrite, right? And there are many who look at the church at large and say, it's just a bunch of hypocrites. They talk about Jesus, but do they actually do anything like him? That's what we're called to be. To trust in Jesus does not just mean believing something about him or or believing that, that we've been saved by him, but it means that we become a people who truly and sincerely follow him, follow the way of Jesus. The psalmist does not separate the idea of Savior from the idea of teacher and guide. Jesus saves us, so we follow him. We live like he lives. These things go together. There are too many people who pray to Jesus, but do not follow his lead. Prayer, the psalmist shows us, is meant to be a place where we follow, where we seek, where we receive guidance. This is what prayer is for. And yet a lot of times, you know, we, we separate things in prayer as well, right? If, if we're honest, we treat prayer a lot of times like some sort of spiritual trash can. 
we kind of dump all of our problems and concerns in prayer and hope that God might come along and haul it away at some point. Right? Prayer absolutely is a place to bring our griefs and our gripes, but it is also a place to receive guidance. It's a place to receive guidance. Too often, we treat prayer as only a place to talk to, or perhaps more accurately, at God. But prayer is also meant to a place where we listen to and receive from God. That's what the psalmist shows us here. Right, the psalmist tells God about enemies and treacherous things. Later on, towards the end of the psalm, there are more complaints and requests. But right here in the middle of the psalm, he goes on to ask, Show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. Prayer is both talking and listening. Prayer is, is both sharing with God and receiving from God. I want to encourage you to incorporate this into your own life of prayer. Ask God for guidance. Ask God to show you his ways, to lead you in his paths, to teach you, and then listen. Wait. Wait for the Lord. You know, in, in Hebrew, the word hope that we've read a couple of times in this psalm is literally the word wait. Verse 3, no one who waits on you will ever be put to shame. Verse 5, I wait for you all day long. Prayer is a place where we seek God's guidance and listen for his leading. And we wait. We may not get a clear answer immediately. It calls for waiting, for patience. But this waiting is the place where we cultivate trust. It's the place where we learn to trust in God by looking to God as someone to learn from and follow and live in his ways. The psalmist here speaks of God not only as a savior, but also as a guide and a teacher. Teach me, O Lord. Now, this word teacher can send us off in the wrong track if we're not careful, because we can begin to think that uh, following God, trusting as God, is, is about accumulating information, you know, and being a, an, an A student. Um, and and that's, that's really not what it's all about right? Uh, God is our teacher, but what he teaches us is not information so much 
as character. When I was in college, or maybe even as early as high school, I don't remember where I first came across this, but someone at some point told me, don't just take classes, take professors. And when I was in college, there were a couple of professors who I took just about every class they offered. I didn't care what it was about. I wanted to be with that person, right? I, the, I, I ended up um, taking a bunch of American literature classes. If I'm honest, I would have much preferred British literature. It's just better. They've been doing English a lot longer than Americans have. Um, I, I, I would have preferred that, but the professor who taught the American Lit class was great, right? He was passionate. He was great at facilitating conversation to bringing it alive, and I wanted to be there, right? So I signed up for his class, right? Uh, don't just take classes. Take professors, because here's the thing. As learners, we are not primarily information storage devices, right? We're people, and as we learn, we don't just gather information. Our hearts are shaped. Our character is formed. And so this is what it is like for God to be our teacher. Not just to, to learn, you know, book, chapter, and verse and have it all stored away, but to become a person like him to have our hearts shaped like him. That's what it is for God to be our teacher. Not information accumulation, but character formation. But again, we can, we can you know, think about being, being an A student, and perhaps the, the psalmist began to get a little worried about that, right? The psalmist begins reflecting on the character of God in verse 6. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, they are from of old. But then the psalmist thinks about himself, and in verse 7 says, but don't remember the sins of my youth. Don't remember my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. Right? It's like the psalmist is, is you know, asking God, teach me, right? I want to I go to the school of God. I want God to be my professor. But here's the thing. God is an ivory league school, and I am a dropout. I, I didn't even go to college, right? I mean, that's what the psalmist is saying, I have no business being in God's class. But here's the good news that the psalmist comes to. Being admitted to the school of God is not based on us, our grades, our transcript. It's based on God. Verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his way. God becomes our teacher and guide, not because we deserve him, but because that's the kind of God that he is. He is the kind of God who draws sinners toward him and says, let me show you the way. Let me draw you near to myself. God brings us near and guides us 
because of who he is. That's who he is. We see this language once more in verse 11. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Right? The psalmist doesn't ask for forgiveness because he deserves it. He asks for forgiveness because, God, you are the kind of God who forgives. That's who you are. So forgive me. And throughout this part of the psalm, the psalmist begins to meditate on and pray through a number of characteristics about God. This is the kind of God that God is. We just read it a moment ago, but but in verse 6, Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love. They are from of old. The psalmist begins to reflect on some of the things that he knows about God. Many of these have their roots in a a recurring passage of Scripture. Uh, Whenever Moses was first uh, bringing the law to the people and, and meeting with God, things went wrong, right? They, they, if you remember the story, Moses is up there making covenant with God on behalf of the people while the people are down at the base of the mountain worshiping another God that they had formed, right? They have already turned away. But Moses pleads for the people, pleads for God, And God, in his grace, renews that covenant. And he says this in Exodus 34. He says this to Moses. I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God says, this is the kind of God who I am. I am merciful. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger. And I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You can hear the psalmist reflect on these very same things. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and your love, right? God, this is who you've said that you are. Remember that. And in this way, it shows us another way that we come to trust in God in prayer. Is it prayer, again, it's not just a place to dump our problems on God. Uh, it's also a place to receive guidance from God. But prayer is also a place where we can simply sit with and meditate on the goodness of God. To just sit and be with him and think about all the things we know, his goodness, his grace, his kindness, right? If you want to try, you know, your own ABCs, uh, that could be a challenge for you this week. Start with a letter in the alphabet and choose a word that describes God. You know, A, God is awesome. Think about that. Reflect on that. B, Lord, you are beautiful. Reflect on that in prayer. You could go through the whole alphabet that way. This can transform the way that you pray. Cultivate trust deep in your heart.
So the psalmist reflects on God. God, guide me. Teach me. Show me your ways. He's worked through trust, guidance, forgiveness, reflecting on God's goodness. And then at the end of the psalm, it comes back around to trust. As he describes once more what it is like to trust in God. And in verse 14, we have an interesting uh, thing that happens because trust, it turns out, goes both ways. Right? The psalmist trusts in God, but in verse 14 it says, The Lord confides in those who fear him. Right? As we trust God, God begins to trust us. And he shares his word with us. He reveals his covenant to us. And he entrusts us to carry that word. He entrusts us to carry that covenant, to live in that faithfulness, to walk in his ways, and to show those to others as well. We trust God, but God expects things of us as well. He calls us and trusts us as well. Trust goes both ways. The psalmist reflects on what it is to live this life of trust, reflecting in God's goodness, placing hope in God. But then we come to, to the last verse. The psalm does not end on an individual basis. Verse 22 reminds us that we are not alone. The psalmist says, deliver Israel, O God, from all of their troubles. Right? The, the psalmist says, you know, God, I've prayed all of this. It's such a personal prayer. But verse 22 expands that to include the whole community. God, draw all of us into trust in you. May we all journey together in trust and following you. We're not alone in this. We follow and we trust in God.